Hey, welcome everybody. Um, I'm gonna jump right into this because I, I, so normally my script is like 10 pages long and this is 16. So we're gonna talk really fast, all right? And the other thing is the way we take notes here at Flatirons is with our cameras, all right, off our phones. And so some churches say, turn your phone off. Don't turn your phone off. Get your phone out because you're gonna wanna take a lot of, there's a lot of things gonna be on the slides, on the screens today. And you're gonna go, I wish I knew what he said. And then you'll misquote me online. You know who you are. Okay, so let's jump into this, all right? So we're gonna continue to unpack a book of the Bible, which was originally, it wasn't even meant to be a book of the Bible. It was a letter that was written to some, some brand new Christians in a town in, in the Middle East, in Turkey, what we call today, uh, a town called Colossae, which is why we call the book of the Bible Colossians. People who live in Colossae are Colossians, right? Like we live in Colorado, we're Coloradans. And wherever you live out there on online, I'm sorry. Anyway, so anyway, so now, now, now the, the controversy that these people are, that, that Paul writes this letter is they're struggling with a controversy that some of us are still struggling with today. Okay, and it goes like this. All right, see if you've ever related to this. The controversy goes, as long as you believe the right information about Jesus, like in your head or your heart, does it really matter that much how you live your life? As long as you believe the right information. In other words, if we're saved by grace, which we are, all right, which is a free gift that Jesus gives us when we put our faith and our trust in who he is and what he did on a cross for us, okay? And, and we're not saved um, and we're not disqualified by what we do right or wrong in our life, all right? So, then why change anything, right? Why change anything in our everyday lives? Because what we get from Jesus is we have this guaranteed promise of forgiveness, like we're not going to hell anymore. And like I said, this isn't a, a problem that people dealt with like 2,000 years ago and is now irrelevant today. I would say that all of us who have any level of faith struggle with that tension of, of how much difference our, our faith should or ought to make in our everyday lives, like away from church, that life. How much difference should Jesus make all, all week long? All right, now, now time out here. Today is gonna be different. <laughs> I say that all the time, but um, it's gonna feel a little different. And here's what I mean by this. A lot of times we'll come in here or we'll turn on whatever device we're on, all right? And then uh, and we'll, we'll spend some time unpacking some stuff from God in the Bible. And that's what we're gonna do today. And then, then after the service is over, um, you get up and you walk out or you turn off whatever device you're watching on. Um, and, and you either tell yourself, okay, there, there's some truth there. I ought to think about that sometime, but we rarely do. I'll just be honest with you. We rarely do because life gets busy. Or even if you hear something from Ben or I or whatever, or a song, and you get really deeply convicted by it, you, you don't really know what to do with it. What, do I, what am I supposed to do with that, Jim? Or how do I apply that to what's going on in my everyday life? And so we either don't even try, or, or, or this is what I do a lot. We, we tell ourselves, you know, that's really good. And someday I'm gonna take a look at that. Like whenever life like slows down or, or calms down or is different. But here's what I found about my life. It never calms down and it's never really that different. And so I never really get to it. Can anybody else relate to that or am I the only one? Hands? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Some of you are liars. So anyway, so uh, <laughs> let's go on. So well, today, none of, those, none of those two responses are gonna be an option for you. You're gonna walk out of here in about half hour, 40 minutes, because it's a long talk, right? Um, with one of two responses. You're gonna walk out of here and it's what's gonna be in your head. You're gonna go, I, I'm gonna do this or I'm not gonna do this. And there's no middle ground, right? Period, right? Not, not hey, someday I'm gonna do that or hey, I'm gonna take part of that. I'm gonna personalize it. I'm gonna do part of what Jim said or God said or whatever, right? No, 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 no. It will either be this. I'm gonna do that or I'm not gonna do that. And I'm not judging you. I really am not judging whatever your response is. I'm just telling you what's coming. And if you don't like to commit to stuff, you might wanna leave now, all right? Got it? Okay, so, so let's get into this. So we've looked at this book of Colossians for the last three weeks, and there are a couple themes that have come up so far. And if I could summarize, you know, like if you missed the last three weeks, uh, go back online if you want to. I would summarize the whole last month kind of like this, all right? And you can read this on your own, all right? Your only hope of glory, and when we take hope of glory, this is what we mean, becoming the person and living the life that you were created to live, like with God, it's only possible when the highest, most powerful, preeminent, like over everything, person in existence, that would be Christ, comes and lives in you, okay? If you want the life you were meant to live, here in this life and then with, with God, right? That's only made possible when Christ comes and lives in you. Now, when that happens, when Christ comes and lives inside of a person, and you can invite him in anytime you want, all things or new things now become possible that were not possible on your own or if Christ wasn't in you, got it? That's the last three weeks, all right? So now that all sounds good. It even sounds pretty, pretty inspiring, okay? It might even give you a little hope that no matter how bad you've kind of tanked your life, you're going, maybe there's still a chance for me, all right? 
but maybe there's a chance to experience this with God kind of life. So it also raises a good question. And I think it's a legitimate question. It goes like this. So if it's true that Christ inside of a person can change everything, then here's the million dollar question, right? Then why isn't every person who claims to have Christ in them being the person and living the life with God that he promises is now possible? Because I look around and I don't see a lot, starting with a mirror, okay? And there are, there are two possible answers to that. And let me just put your mind at ease. Neither one of them have to do with if you're saved or not, if you're going to heaven or hell or not. That is finished. Can we move on? If you have faith in Jesus, you're not going to hell. Take a breath, okay? So uh, we're talking about a better changed life, like in this one, and why Christ isn't making a difference in this life, why that's happening and why that's not. And the answer is, so, so Why? And as I try to answer that question, I come up with two options, and these are the only possible two options. Either Christ in me, it's not enough. Christ in me is not sufficient or powerful enough to change my life. In other words, there's something wrong with God. He's powerful enough to get me out of hell and save me. He just can't change my life. He's not strong enough. So that's one option, or here's the other one. Um, there's something in me that's blocking or keeping me from what Christ in me could be possible. In other words, there's something wrong with me. Something wrong with God, something wrong with me. So hang on to both of those possible answers. We'll come back to the end, all right? Either Christ is not powerful enough to change me or there's something going on in me that's kind of blocking the Christ in me being able to change me. Everybody follow me? Now, let's look at a really, really important, I told him we're gonna go fast. I'm gonna look at a really, really big concept in the Bible, a really important concept that you have to, if you, if you wanna live this life, all right, you have to get your head and heart around. It's one of the things that's so important around here at Flatirons, we call it one of our values, all right? A value is an idea, everybody has values. It's an, it's, a, it's an idea or a truth that drives everything that you do. The value I wanna talk about real quick is called spiritual formation, which sounds fancy, but this is how Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, he, this is how he defines spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is the spirit-driven, Holy Spirit, that's Christ in you, he's gonna do something. It's a process of forming the inner world of you, the human self, in such a way that it, you, become like the inner being of Christ himself. You ever follow that? I'm, I'm trying, I want the inside to form into something different. See, when Christ is formed in you, then the outer expression of a person's life, our choices, uh, our behaviors, our interactions with others, they just naturally express or overflow the character and the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said this over and over. One time he said this, um, whatever, you've heard this before, whatever is stored up in a person's heart, good or bad, overflows. It comes out of your mouth. Why'd you say that? Because that's what's in my heart. Why'd you do that? Because that's what's in my heart. Good or bad, whatever's stored up there comes, comes out. Now, please hear this. This is worth writing down. Should I made a slide of it? I forgot. Okay, so <laughs> spiritual formation, Christ being formed in you, is the most important. Nothing is more important. If this doesn't happen, nothing else in your life really matters. It's the highest priority that God has for your life. If you wanna know what God's will is for your life, and we all do, here it is, ready? Christ being formed in you is God's highest priority. It is God's will for your life. There may be other things, that's at the top of the list. God's first, this is gonna hurt your feelings a little bit. God's first priority is not your marriage or your divorce, or your singleness, or, or your sexuality. It's not, you know, stay sober. It's not your parenting. It's not your financial situation. It's not even your cancer or the latest catastrophe that hit your life. I am not saying that's not important to God. It is very important to God. They are, but the presence or the absence of Christ in you will be the number one factor in how you, how you go through that, how you deal with all those other things, if he's there or not. Does that make sense? Spiritual formation, by definition, the goal, the result of Christ in you is that you are transformed in the same kind of person. You have the same inner character that you would find in Jesus Christ, and that results in an outward expression of that inward transformation. Now, here's where it goes off the rails, and Ben talked about this last week. Go back and listen to it, it's a great talk, all right? Most Christians, and when I say most Christians, anytime I say most, I'm talking about me. Too, all right, so I'm not throwing stones at anyone, okay? So including myself, when we think about the whole idea of, remember the bracelets, WWJD? What would Jesus do? Remember that? I had like four, all right? Um, or um, how am I supposed to live my life as a Christian or a follower of Christ? Most of us, 
most of the time, we immediately jump right to, and we start talking about, well, now that I'm a Christian, I ought to do this, or I shouldn't do this anymore. I should do more good stuff, and I should stop doing as much bad stuff. And we focus on behavior, or what Ben talked about last week, we call it behavior modification. You become a Christian, and then, hey, here's what, here's what I mean by that. By effort, or just by trying hard, we try to act different or act better on the outside as opposed to focusing on inward transformation. And then not if, but when we fail, it's because we didn't try hard enough. That's what we tell ourselves or other people tell us. See, outward behavior modification doesn't last. It's always short-lived and it's temporary, which is why a lot of us, and I put myself in here, started well. Remember when you first became a Christian? You were fired up for Jesus, right? And then it fizzled pretty quickly. And then down the road, you went to camp, heard a sad song, whatever, and you rededicated your life. Remember that? How many times have you been rebaptized? You're like, 27, maybe this one, all right? Listen, and, and, but this time, remember, you really meant it. This time, I, I mean it. And it didn't work well either for long. See, see, behavior modification alone cannot change anything long term. Now it's gonna get really confusing because what, I, what, what I'm about to say will sound like I'm con- contradicting myself, and I'm not. What I just said does not mean, however, that outward behavior and working hard and, 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 and practicing new disciplines, I'm not saying that doesn't play a part in inward transformation. It does. It does have its part. Look at this. Spiritual change, right? Becoming a different person, all right? And formation comes from God, God's spirit, and is by God's spirit. It's an act of grace. Only, you, you agree with this, only God can change a person's heart. Would you, believe, would you agree with that? Only God can do that, but, big but here, right? But we, look at this, we must cooperate and place ourselves in the best position to receive the powerful, working, changing grace of God. Instead of regarding God's grace as like a magic spell, and we sit on the couch and during a commercial break, we pray, oh God, change my life, all right? Then we go back to it, and we expect God to like zap us into the kind of person who loves and then starts acting like Jesus. We're just gonna sit here, Jesus, do your stuff. Listen, this is a good, take this, all right? Grace is not magic. It's not abracadabra, you're like Jesus. And that's why a lot of us are disappointed. We thought when we came up out of that baptistry water, we'd be like Jesus, and we're not. We're just forgiven. Listen, I, I've been doing ministry uh, for, for 36, 37 years now, and I have lost count of the number of people that have come up to me and complained after they like screwed up their life, and I'll be honest, I've lost count of the many times that I have whined the same thing to God. Something like this, have you, can you relate to this? Hey God, why don't you just fix me? Right, God, why don't you, if you don't want me to do this anymore, act like this anymore, feel like this anymore, ready? Then why did you make me like this? Why, why won't you make me not want to do that anymore, right? Why won't you change me? Listen, I'm trying. It's not my fault. I, I can't help feeling like that. I can't help doing it. And logically, Jesus, if you're above all things and can do all things, you could make this go away, so I wouldn't even want to do it anymore. So why don't you? And when you listen to that and listen to yourself, it's almost like I'm saying that my continual sin and my continual failure is partially on God. It's kind of like God's fault which goes back to that first accusation. It goes like this. It, it's God's fault or God's shortcoming that explains why my life isn't changing. Again, am I the only one? Anybody else prayed that prayer before? Three of us, we're going to heaven. All right, all right, so, all right so. But here's a, let me, here's a, like, a late to the game aha moment I had a couple years ago. I'm studying the life of Jesus and what he does and what Jesus doesn't do. When I say he doesn't do, I mean he can do anything. He's God, all right? He can do anything he chooses to do. But all-knowing, all-powerful, can do anything, is above all things Jesus, that's the one I'm talking about, right? Chooses not to do certain things, and I was gonna say, like, for us, but I think a, a better phrase would be this. While Jesus promises to do everything in us and with us, he doesn't promise to do certain things instead of us. You gotta lean into that. That's, 
I gotta, I gotta think about that. For example, when, when you read the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those biographies, you find story after story after story of Jesus healing people. They're beautiful stories. There's this one time that he healed this person with leprosy who's gonna die. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fatal skin disease, all right? Um, he healed several people of blindness. He healed this one lady of chronic bleeding. She'd been bleeding for 13 years. He fixed this withered hand that didn't work and it, and, and, and it started working. He fixed legs that, that couldn't walk. He even raised a few people from the dead. And he did it like that in an instant. He like touched him or he just spoke to him and it happened on the spot. Now for the record, all of those healings, all those things he fixed in that moment, they were all temporary. They didn't last. What do you mean? They all got sick again sometime and died. Well, how can you say that? Where are they? They're dead. Okay, so they, all right, so just file that away. So, so they're dead. So, so do you know what, Jesus? <laughs> that was very nice, but they are. They're dead as dirt. I mean, all right. Do you know what Jesus never instantly healed or fixed? A person's heart. He never changed their character in a moment. He never, he never touched a man and that man was never angry or bitter again. He never spoke this special word and from that moment on, the listener became a more loving person, a better husband and father, a better wife and mother, a better son and daughter, a better friend. Didn't happen. He never gave a command and a woman instantly forgave her abusive father or, or, or husband. He never said a magic word and a person from that point on was never greedy again, never selfish again. I mean, if you study my, my favorite three chapters of the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it clear that you could start lobbing off body parts and it wouldn't cure your lust because it's a heart issue. No, if those things were ever gonna change and become and reflect more of the character of Jesus in that person, that happened over time because growth takes time and it happened because the person desiring that area of their life to change, what's the next word? Decided. They decided to put themselves in a position to be available, receptive, and willing and obedient to do what Jesus wanted him or her to do. Some people walked away. Some people leaned into it. Do something in me and then with me and then out of the overflow of that, Jesus, do something through me. Got it? So if you want, let's just dumb it all the way down to gym, gym level, okay? The simplest level, okay? Here's a plan. If you want something to change in your life, whatever it is for you, your relationship with God, your relationship with your husband or wife, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, with your parents, with your friends, with your children. If, if, you, if you have an addiction in your life and you don't want it to control your life anymore, if you wanna break a bad, unhealthy habit, heck, I don't know, if you wanna lose weight, right? If you wanna get in shape, if you have a goal or a dream for any part of your life, let's say this, and, and you pray God, to God, you go, hey God, will you do that for me? And he doesn't do it or fix it or cause it to happen in an instant. What if, what if the answer from God isn't no? Or, sorry, you gotta figure that one out on your own. What if God's answer is what we find all through the Bible as people desired to, to, to live their lives, to line up their lives on the outside with what they knew to be true about Christ on the inside? What if the answer from God when you ask him to change your life is, I, I wanna do that for you, I do. I, I, I wanna do it, do it for you or, or instead of you. I'm not gonna do it instead of you. Instead, how about this? I'll, I promise, I'll be in you and I'll give you wisdom of, of what you need to do or what you need to see to that to become a reality in your life. I'll guide you every step of the way. I'll be in you. How about this? I'll give you the power to keep on going and not quit. You always quit. I'm gonna be in you. I'm gonna give you the power to not quit. I'll be with you so you don't have to do it all by yourself. You don't have to be alone. I'll be with you and in you and we can do it together. So, well, that seems more reasonable. See, see, and we talked about this last, last week. It's the, it's the reason Paul wrote this letter in the first place. He knows that, that you, he knows that if, if you know that Christ is in you and he's like that power engine and, and that guide in your life, he says this, the result will be you, you'll be encouraged. Because why do you give up all the time? It's like, what's the use? It's too hard. And you, and you get discouraged. Don't, don't give up because you listened to and, and bought into some foolish, like untrue argument from other people or the false messages, the tapes playing in your head that say that's impossible for you, so you quit. See, see Paul knows that in most areas of life, spiritual ones and, and relational ones and physical, he's like this, no matter how much we might say that, that we want certain things or certain goals to, to be a part of our life and they're important to us, 
And no matter how much we want them to become realities in our life, the possibility or the likelihood of them becoming not just wishful thinking or a thought, but actually a reality lived out every day in our lives, it comes down to this. It will be, it will be won or lost in, in, our, in the mind by how we think about it. And then how we think about it, are we willing, what are we willing to do about it? So what Christ agrees, he agrees with you, that needs to happen in your life. It actually happens. So we get into Colossians, the second half of the letter, Paul gives um, uh, uh, commands, they're in the imperative, if you're a word nerd like me, all right? Uh, they're in the imperative, they're commands in certain areas of our life that we, we must do. Not, not, not to change our life, not, not, not for the primary goal of changing outward behaviors, but, but when we do these commands, we put ourselves in the best position to allow the work of Christ to work towards completion. So doing and obeying these commands from God doesn't guarantee that God's spirit's gonna change your life by next week. But not doing these commands pretty much guarantees your life won't change, according to Paul. So in this case, if the goal is, and he said this in the last couple of weeks, the goal is I want to have wisdom, I wanna think like Christ, I wanna have understanding like Christ, uh, so that with Christ in me, I can begin to actually see what's going on in my world. And I can understand the people that I have to deal with, and I can make wise, like Christ-like decisions. So I'm gonna run through these really, really, really quick, and then we're gonna get into application, okay? A snapshot, you can read this on your own. There's free Bibles in the back of all of our auditoriums. So here, here's the first one, Colossians chapter one. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. So you put your faith in Christ at one point. That's who he's talking to, all right? Then he says this, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So the first thing Paul commands is you have to set your hearts on things above. And in this context, he, when he says your heart, he's talking about your will. He's talking about your willpower. You gotta set your willpower on, on, on better things. See, your, your heart, and you'll agree with this, okay? Because every song in the world is about your heart. Your heart calls the shots and decides like where the rest of your whole person is going to go. Follow your heart, right? right? A heart that is being formed by Christ is a, a whole heart. And the opposite of that would be a divided heart. What's a divided heart? A part of me wants to do that, and then part of me wants to do that. I don't know which one I'm gonna do today. And that feels like life, right? He says, set your whole heart means above all else, there's this one thing I want, and nothing's gonna get in the way of it. My whole heart is set on it, my will. This is what I'm going to do, right? Colossians chapter three, verse two, look at this. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So the second thing is set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And your mind here is your thoughts. And it's your imagination. See, your, your mind, think about this, all right? You never thought of it, but think about this, right? Your mind informs your heart and your willpower of what could be real. Like imagine if this was possible. Imagine this if, if this wasn't possible. Your mind, you're gonna relate to this, is that internal conversation going on in your head all day long. People like, you're sitting over the corner going, uh, uh, and people go, what's wrong? Like, Nothing, just talking to myself, all right, right? So, so you're, whatever your mind is fixed on and believing is true, that is the biggest influence on your heart, your will, what you will do. What I believe is possible and true tells my heart, and my heart says, let's go do that. A mind that is being formed by Christ is focused on what Christ says is true and not what the world is saying is true or is saying is or isn't possible. I'm, I'm not looking at that, I'm set on that. Here's another one, this one's a hard one, right? It says, put to death, therefore, if, if you're really with Christ, put to death, therefore, whatever, anything that belongs to your earthly nature, and he gives us a list. Sexual immorality, like out of bounds stuff of sex, right? Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, and I love that. He just says, you gotta put some stuff to death, what? Whatever, whatever, whatever is going on in your body and your emotions or your involvement or contact with anything or any activity that pulls you away from what God says is right, and true, anything that promises to deliver you satisfaction that's different than what God says is true, which is the definition of sin. Anything that's different than what God says is true. He doesn't, he doesn't mince words about it. Put to death means zero tolerance, no compromise. It's not my life anymore, it can't be. We're, this, is, this is how I live my life. How about just a little bit, all right? How about, that, that, won't, that won't really matter. Nope, he says kill it, get rid of it, it can't be there. Put some space between you and it because it keeps dragging you down. I'm reading this really interesting sociology book right now because I'm a nerd, all right? And, and it's the whole thing about how, how the human race determines what's disgusting and what's not disgusting. It ties it into the Bible about what's clean and what's unclean, all right? There's this great illustration here. It's kind of gross, but it's a 
nails it, right? He says, if you were to put one drop of pure water in a glass of urine, it won't purify the water. It won't purify the, 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 the urine, right? But if you, if you take one drop of urine and put it in one glass of water, the whole, wa- the whole glass is it's just ruined, right? It makes it undrinkable. That's what he's talking about. You can't have one drop. Zero tolerance, all right? Put to death anything that doesn't fit in that glass, all right, that you don't wanna drink, all right? It can't be here. And I'll be honest, again, I'm including myself in this. Some of us, and I think I speak for most of us, we got some stuff going on. Secret stuff, right? Sexually immoral stuff, impure stuff, evil stuff, wrong sins, secrets, desires, what? And and be that a little bit or a lot. I have some, right? And the reason I, I have them in my life is, I like them. Am I the only one? All right, all right. Um, they do something for me, and I get something out of it. Otherwise, I'll, I would have gotten rid of it. We like it. We like our sin. It's, it's, why, it's why we do. I heard someone somewhere say this. I don't remember who said it. From now on, I'm, I'm gonna say it. All right. Um, but I think it's on the money. It's the definition. Here's a good picture, all right? Uh, uh, the word sacrifice. This is good. This is, what, this is what sacrifice is not. Sacrifice is not giving up something you don't really like or love because it's a good thing or a bad thing if you do it. I'm giving up liver, not a big deal, okay, I hate it, all right? So, no, if you, did, if you, if you didn't like it, you would've already quit it. Here's sacrifice, this is so good. Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love more. That's like philosophy in here, right? It's deep. Sacrifice is laying down something in your life that's always been an important part of your life, but if you hold on to it, then something else isn't possible. Something or someone that's more important will never be what it could be or they could be if you try to hold on to both. And so you have to choose to let go of one of them to make, hold, make room for the other one to take better hold of it. Does that make sense? Everybody follow me, nod your heads on camera, out there in the TV world, good. All right, right, so, so if you want something good to happen in your life that lines up with what both you and Christ want in your life, it will not involve, and Paul goes on, you can read this on your own later, uh, he gives us a partial list. He says you have, to, you have to do whatever you need to do to kill it, to get rid of it. And he gives us this partial list. He says, like, you gotta get rid of bitter, raging anger. I, you have a reason to be angry. It owns your life. We, we, we gotta put that to death. Malice, that's evil intent on people. Slander, that's lying, right? That filthy language, that, that would nail a lot of us, all right? And, and lying, he says in verse 11, it will never include, if you want God's will for your life, stereotyping and reducing people to categories such as by their race or their culture or their social status or their background. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called it contempt. You cannot define people different than what God says is true about them. If you do, it's contempt. It's racism, it's sexism, whatever that is, because it's different than what God says. If anything that you do does or includes any of those things, he says, you gotta kill it. Zero tolerance. It's gotta get out of your life. See, if you set your heart and your will and your mind on something and you've made up your mind as God's chosen people, there's no room for compromise. You gotta put it to death. And I love this, because put it to death is less time to go to war statement. It's that level. I got, I got crap going on in my life, and I hate it. I've hated it for 10 years. Now it's time to, to get rid of it. Does that make sense? Nod your heads, right? Good, good, all right. So you got a mask on. I can't tell if you're like going, you're stupid. I, I, all right, all right. So you gotta identify it, you gotta kill it, you gotta burn it, you gotta get it out of your life. But it's not just about I gotta stop doing stuff. It also is about I gotta pursue something better. I gotta incorporate something better into my life. And Paul gives us that list too. He goes, therefore, as God's chosen people, and that's us, that's you. He chose you, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself, like you're putting on, on clothes, right, with compassion, it's like gut level love, kindness, whatever's good for them, humility, opposite of arrogance, gentleness, all right, patience. You could pay him back, but you're not going to. Bear with one another and forgive one another. You're gonna, you're gonna hold people together. You're gonna forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against them. He says this, forgive, well, how should I forgive? How about this, as the Lord forgave you? That'd be a good place to start. And over all these virtues, Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul goes on to say this. Hey, let the message, let the word of Christ, what Jesus said, dwell among you. Let what Jesus said and did take up residency in, in, your, in your life. He says, read what Jesus said and, and follow what he did and incorporate it into your life. So it's this evidence of if I walked into your house, that's the furniture of your house. Christ in you is the evidence of him in you. And finally, Paul gives us one big umbrella command. Whatever you do, this is just everything. Do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. Now let me summarize all that and we're gonna get into a really, 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 really practical, I think it's gonna be fun, application. 
And you're gonna say yes or you're gonna say no to it, not because you don't understand, but because you do. It's pretty convicting, okay? So Paul says this. He says the presence, so this is everything I've said so far. The presence and formation of the character of Christ in you is your one hope of becoming the person and living that with God kind of life. Everybody follow that? Yes, Jim. Okay, all right. How about this? Spiritual formation of Christ in a person is from God's spirit and by God's spirit. We cannot form it by direct effort or outward behavior modification. However, we do have the responsibility, it is our choice, to create the best position to allow the work of Christ to work towards completion, which is Christ fully formed in you, in your inner being, which results and naturally outflows in your external behaviors. This is everything I said. Christ in you is your goal. External behaviors and changed life as a result. Everybody following me? Okay, application. Oh, it's gonna be fun, buckle up. Get your phones out, get them. Look at the person next to you and get your phone out, dang it. All right, so. So last week, um, if you watch or you online or you're here, right, Vince started his talk by sarcastically pointing out that a few of us on staff, myself included, have taken on this 75 hard challenge, right? I'm on day 21. Um, listen, I, I won't stoop to Ben's level. I won't belittle his you know, lack of mental toughness or physical fitness. I won't do that, all right? I won't sink to that level. I believe if you were to hang out with Ben, it would be apparent on its own. There you go. All right, so anyway, love you, Ben. Uh, 75 hard, is, it's, not, it's not a diet plan, although it involves a planned diet. And it's not an exercise fitness plan, although it involves physical workouts and challenges. Above everything else, if you've done it or tried it, right, it's, it's, um, it's, it's created to develop mental toughness. The, the, goal, the goal is developing a mental muscle memory of doing what you said you were gonna do and not making any excuses. No, no, no compromise and don't quit. I love how the author, he defines the word commitment. This is worth coming right here. Commitment is this, consistent, unwavering execution. That's just money. Consistent, like, oh, all right? Unwavering, I don't flex, execution. Now, here's why this is so important. And I'm gonna speak for myself, but I think I'm speaking for you, most of us, anyway, right? So um, I think I'm describing the world. There are very few, if any, things that I have in my life that every day I have consistent, unwavering execution. I, I can't even think of more than two or three, maybe. I, I start well, and then life gets crazy, right? Or, or doing what I said that I was gonna do gets intrusive, and something else comes up, and now I wanna do that instead, so I don't do that. And I either don't do it, or I only do like, I don't know, 50% of it which is why, this, I'm gonna make some strong statements here, and if it doesn't apply to you, just brush it off. Very few people do anything great in their lives or succeed at their goals. You don't know many great people. I mean, you, you love them because they gave birth to you. You have to, but uh, you don't know many people that have done great things. Most people live average lives. That's okay. Wasn't what I hope, but it's my life. Some, some people live great lives, and the ones that do usually have some things in common. First, they, they have determined their why, right? It's, it's, right? it's a book. Why, why, why do I wanna achieve that goal? What, what's in it for me? What's the win if I make my goal? And is it worth it? And they answer, yeah, it's worth it. I wanna give my life to it. Second, they make a plan and they work it every day. Anybody that's done something great in their life, they don't work it some days or even most days. It's every day. They have all, you look at them and go, they're unbalanced in their dedication toward that goal. You might even call them a fanatic. They're crazy, right, about this. And a fanatic, is, here's the definition of, my definition of fanatic, they're committed to something more than you, more than the critic, you know, is or feels is, is reasonable, okay? Usually these critics have plenty of advice, but they haven't really achieved much themselves. Have you noticed that? I love how a financial planner, Dave Ramsey, said this. If you get mad about this, then you can email him. He says this, don't take financial advice from poor people. Ouch, right? I'd say this, how about this? Don't listen to advice from people who haven't accomplished anything or are trying to justify their own failures by giving you advice or permission to not try or to fail. That's, that's right. Third, they have uh, zero room for compromise. Right? See, this is 75 hard, I can't change it, I can't modify it, I can't personalize a version of 75 hard for me. 
It would be 75 kind of hard, all right? It, would, it wouldn't be 75 hard. No, I have to do it just like the author instructs. And if I fail at any part of it, I have to go back to the beginning and start over at day one. There are no extenuating circumstances which give me room to perform. Today, I only did 50% or 70% or 95%. There are no excuses for playing the victim of, it's not my fault. I couldn't help it. The day got away from me. I, I did most of it. My schedule filled up and I couldn't find the time. Listen, every person on the planet in this room and listen to my voice right now, we have one thing in common. Every day lasts for 24 hours. And we, we're in charge. We get to choose how we leverage our minutes. We all have that. Don't play the victim, all right? What and how we choose to spend our minutes. We either leverage them or we waste them. And again, speaking for myself, if you add it all up, I have wasted, if not months, years of my life staring at TV and phone screens doing absolutely nothing constructive of a lasting value. No excuses, no blame. No, that's not my fault or I couldn't help it. For 75 days, rain or shine, whether I'm on regular home schedule or I'm jumping on trains, planes and automobiles, all right, and I'm living in hotels, whether I'm at home in Erie or I'm hunting in Arizona like last week, I have five things I'm committed to do every day with consistent, unwavering execution, which for me are, here's my five things. I'll go really, really fast. One is I gotta stick to a diet. This is tough for me. Okay, I'm sticking to a low sugar, low carb, no bread or pasta diet. And as a person who loves macaroni and cheese, who usually, this is gonna be so bad, right? Eats at Chick-fil-A twice a day. I have 24,000 points on my app, okay? It's a confession, all right? Um, it's a huge adjustment for me. I've also, I've made a choice to give up alcohol and tobacco all the way until Easter. And for some of you going, well, you're the pastor. That shouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> Let me just say this. It's kind of a big deal. Don't judge me. Especially I just got back from hunt camp and I'm the only one there that was like doing this challenge, all right? But no compromise, no cheating, even a little bit, all right? So next thing, all right? I have to drink a gallon of water every day. <sighs> On top of, this is why I'm talking so fast. This is not my first glass, all right? <laughs> Listen, again, as a person who, who used to say, you know the number one ingredient in Diet Coke is water or bourbon or whatever, right, right? Uh, or uh, as a person with a below average sized bladder, this is really intrusive in my life. If I do a meeting with you, I'm gonna get up at least six times, all right? But I have to drink 128 ounces of water every day. Third thing is I have to work out twice a day. So I'm working out every day, twice a day for 45 minutes. And one of those workouts has to be outside. I had church today, so I had to get up at four today and do a two and a half hour, two and a half hour mile run with my dogs. <sighs> anyway, so I'm so awesome. Anyway, uh, but the first one's usually easy. I can go to the gym early in the morning. I have to find time when I get home from work. And I'm tired. And I don't want to do it. Last week, I, I, I drove 11 hours to Arizona to hunt down there with some buddies. And when I got there, 11 hours later, I said hi. And then I went on a two-hour hike. Then I came back. And then on Sunday, a week ago, I, I went to the gym there in Arizona at 4 o'clock in the morning. I got in my truck and I drove 11 hours home. I said hi, Robin. I grabbed the dogs and I went for another two-and-a-half-hour hike, all right? Which is... Um, the, the dog, it was night and the dog park's closed, which is illegal. So if you're a cop, sorry, uh, but I did it. Um, fourth thing is I have to read 10 pages of nonfiction every day on top of anything else I might be reading, All right? Again, not a big deal, but I've literally had to get out of bed at night and go, oh, stink, I, I gotta read 10 pages. And I got up and I read them and I went back to bed. The last one is really weird. I have to take a selfie of myself, a progress picture every day, and document any physical changes or progress in my body. Now, here's the kicker. If I fail to do any one of those things right, to completion, even if it happens on day 74, I'm disqualified and I have to go all the way back and I have to start over because the commitment, the consistent unwavering execution that I said I was gonna do is all five things to completion every day for 75 days. And the hardest one to justify is that dumb picture because it doesn't, it doesn't make me more fit. It doesn't make me healthier if my end goal is health and fitness, but that's not my end goal. I don't have a weight goal, I don't. I don't have a fitness goal. I don't have a health goal. I don't have a, I wanna read this many pages in a year goal. No, I have a mental toughness goal. Can I commit and execute something really hard and intrusive in my life simply because I said I was gonna do it? In spite of the world, internally in my mind and externally the people and circumstances in my life that go, you shouldn't have to do that. You can't do this. It's not worth it. You're probably gonna fail. And the importance of the, the daily picture seems like a minor detail it doesn't count for much, but again, speaking for myself, most of the mistakes and regrets and misses in my life were not caused because I blew up my life one day. But the cumulative effect of a whole bunch of minor, this doesn't matter, it's just a little bit, 
and it, then it, nobody will even know you add all those, all those choices up and I wreck that part of my life. My goal is mental toughness. Any physical health or book learning is just the position I place myself in so that my mind gets stronger. Does that make sense? At least in theory. I'm not recruiting you to go do this. I, I wanna use it as a metaphor or a parable. That's a Bible word, okay? Of 75 hard about what Paul has been teaching in the book of Colossians. This is really important to do this week because next week Paul's gonna talk about some of the most important parts of our life, like the people we're married to or our parents or our kids or our careers or the people that work for us or our bosses, okay? So I wanna throw this out. Just get ready to take notes, all right? I wanna throw out a seven-day challenge. Not 75, you wimps, seven, okay? A seven-day challenge for this week. And I, I would love for us to have 100% participation, but some of you aren't strong enough. So anyway, so you have... You have to decide really if you have the courage to take it on. Again, I'm not trying not to judge you, but if it's important, Paul says that you have to set your heart and your mind on something if you want it to get better. And it will be a yes or no decision. And I'm just gonna say this. If you say yes, then to quote Jesus, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say no, then great. But if you say yes, you are committing to consistent, unwavering execution of five things every day for the next seven days. Got it in you? Okay, here we go. So, so here's the challenge. All right, so you can take a picture of this or they'll all be summed up at the end, all right? Um, and we're gonna put it on social media all week long. I want, you, I want you to pick out one relationship in your life, one important one, one key relationship in your life that you, you say, I want it to get better. I want it to get deeper. I want it to get closer. I'm not saying it's horrible. I just want it to get better. And the why behind this is because you know that if you were able to love this person more like Jesus in you would love them, the result is that that relationship will get tighter. It'll get more intimate. It'll get more safe. It'll get closer and more fulfilling for both of you. That's the why. So pick a person. It might be the person that you're married to. It might be the person that you're dating. It might be one of your parents. It might be one of your kids. Just pick one. Don't pick both your parents. Don't pick all of your kids. Pick, pick one. You can do another one next week if you want to, okay? Just one. Here are the five things that I want you to do every day until you come back, seven days in a row, all right? The first one would be this, give. What do you mean give? See, this would be the equivalent of, of the 75, the diet. You're gonna have to feed this relationship the right thing, right? Paul says that we have to put on things like love and encouragement and patience and gentleness and forgiveness. So here's how you're gonna give, all right? Every, every day this week, and you can do this, I don't care if you're 80, you got a phone, unless it's a wood-burning phone, you can do this, all right? You're gonna text this person. Now, you text all day long, so if not, your grandkid will show you how, okay? So, all right, you're gonna text this person, and you're gonna tell them something about them that you see, not something they have accomplished, right? And here's the difference. You don't say to your son, you're really good at football. That's performance-based, right? How about you say this? I love how dedicated you are. I love how strong you are. You're a strong man, you're a strong woman. I don't say this to your mom, you're a really good cook. Don't say that, right? Say something like this, I love how you take such good care of us. I love how you provide for us. So the first one is this, you're gonna give one note or text every day stating something in them that you see that is good and admirable, okay? A different attribute every day. And then part two of that is you're gonna close the text with these three words, I love you. And you're going, that's awkward. I haven't told my kid I loved him in a year. I know. It matters. I'm, I'm really proud of you. You're, 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 a strong, you're a strong young man. I love you. So just like my body's not gonna, all right, the, the second one is this, all right? You're gonna, give, you're gonna give up, you're gonna give up something. See, just like my body is not gonna function at maximum capacity if I fill it up with crappy food and alcohol and smoke, all right? I'm giving up one thing so that I can take hold of something that I believe is better. Now, for some of us, we already know what that is. We got some secret stuff going on. And it's called sin. We got stuff like pornography or inappropriate online or, or office relationships. We medicate just to deal with our failing relationship at home. We medicate with alcohol and drugs or food, and we know deep down inside, while it makes life feel more like manageable, it's keeping us from them. It just is. It's keeping us from intimacy and connection to the people that we love. And so it might be a bad thing. I'm saying, listen, I'm gonna take this bad thing. I'm not saying it's forever, but for seven days, I'm gonna put it over here, and I'm not gonna do it. I'm not going to the website. I'm not going to the bar. I'm not gonna do it. I'm, I'm setting it aside. For me, I'll be honest with you. This is a confession. It felt weird for me to not have a drink at night or not light up a cigar to drive my truck up to the mountains. It felt like now I don't even know what to do with my hands. 
and I'm giving it up for at least 75 days, I'm gonna go all the way to Easter, no, no, no exception. But giving up might not be a bad thing. It might be, a, I'm just gonna give up a different thing. I'm gonna give up a normal thing that I do every day because my muscle memory, every time it says, hey, go and do that normal thing you do every day, I'm gonna take that normal activity, I'm gonna use it, I'm not gonna do it, I'm gonna use it to remind me of, of her or, or him. In the Bible, that's what, that's what fasting was about. It wasn't a hunger strike to get God to do stuff for you. That's what I thought it was. I won't eat until you answer my prayer. No, 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 no. It was replacing for a certain time frame one normal thing to remind you to pursue this other thing. So that might be alcohol. It might be sugar. It might be TV. It might be social media. <sighs> do I love her that much? I don't know, right? But you're, you're gonna disrupt your normal life to do something different. So pick out one thing, just one, and give it up for a week. Got it? You're gonna give, you're gonna give up. Second thing, you're gonna read. You're gonna read. It's not, not, don't worry, not 10 pages, all right? You're gonna, Paul commands us to let the word of Christ dwell inside of us and live inside of us so it becomes a part of our inner life and then it will overflow out into our relationships. So starting today, not Monday or February 1st, today, all right? You're gonna read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 every day. It's also known as the love chapter, every day for seven days. Seven days in a row, right? And as you read it, you're gonna ask God to, to begin to, to form that kind of love in you. I wanna love, be, I want that in me. And you're gonna ask questions like, what, what would be possible if I could love that person like that? And what are the reasons coming up inside of me that says I, I probably could never love like that? And when those reasons why you couldn't love that person like that come up, speak to it and then kill it. Get rid of it. I'm not, not gonna tolerate that. Instead, imagine your life with that person be affected by that kind of love coming out of you. Isn't that beautiful? All right, one more, all right? You're gonna, you're gonna work out. Now, don't, just take a breath, okay? Work out, all right? So you've already said, I'm gonna write a note or a text to them, telling them in words what I see in them and how I feel about them. Now, you're gonna do something. You're gonna do something good and helpful for them. And I would throw this out, okay? I would do something that doesn't involve money. I mean, I'll give you one. Bring home flowers, one day. You get one freebie there, okay? But you know what it might mean? And you gotta look straight ahead. Don't look at the person next to you, all right? It might mean that maybe you cleaned up the kitchen after dinner and let the cook put up his or her feet. Look ahead, look straight ahead. Maybe, what if, this is the one convicting for me, what if you did the project that you promised him or her that you would do months ago, but you haven't gotten around to it, even though you know it's really, really important to them? Look straight ahead. How about if you filled their car up with gas or took it to the car wash? They don't expect you to do it because it's not your job. It's an act of service. I love you. You're doing it simply because you want to do something good in their direction. Again, no agenda and no expectation of anything in return. And guys, you know what I'm talking about. We'll move on, all right? You're just gonna serve them as an act of 1 Corinthians kind of love, all right? And finally, this is gonna be weird. You're gonna, you're gonna take a daily picture. I know this is gonna be awkward. You're gonna do it though, okay? It's a selfie of the two of you together in the same room. Now, if one of you is out of town and inaccessible, you gotta get creative, meaning this. I'm gonna leave town tomorrow, I'm gonna take a picture of her with me, and I'm gonna take a selfie of me and the picture together, and I'm gonna send it to them, okay? And here's the one that you're gonna go, that one's dumb. That one just is awkward, all right, walk up to my kid, right? That, that won't help our relationship. It just feels weird, right? Not if you're dating, you've been dating two weeks, you do that anyway. Like the whole, oh, part, you know, I get, all right, right, but, but if, what, what if it's your dad? Or your daughter? You're gonna take a, a selfie with, with them, all right? It's gonna feel like borderline stalking. Like, like, Dad, this is weird, it's dysfunctional. I understand, you're wrong. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Just listen, okay? When one of you has to drive across town to do this, or keep your promise to get home on time, or wake the other person up in, you know, from sleep in order to take care of this detail, you're communicating to that other person, I'm in, I'm committed. I'm not gonna do what I always normally do is I give you my word and then I show up about 50, 75, 90% of the time. I'm in. You're also communicating this. If I'll rearrange my day to do this small, insignificant thing in your direction because that stupid challenge Jim gave us, if I'm willing to do this, maybe you'll trust me to keep my word and show up in all the big things in life. Convicting? So let's look at it. Get ready, all right? You're gonna give one message or text message of encouragement a day, and they're gonna say, I love you. Two, you're gonna give up one normal, important daily thing to remind you of him or her. Third, you're gonna read 1 Corinthians 13. Ask God to form that kind of love inside of you. Fourth, you're gonna work out. You're gonna do one thing for them as an act of loving service. And five, you're gonna do a progress picture, a selfie with both of you in it. Now, here's the extra thing you can do. I think this is fun. You don't have to do it. It's optional. We set up a Facebook group. 
I just found out what that was this week. There's a thing called Facebook group, all right? And it's linked on the Flatirons Church website and the Flatirons Church Facebook page, and the group is called Flatirons Seven Day Challenge. Came up with that myself, kind of proud of it, all right? Now, if you wanna do this, it's optional. You can post that daily picture of you and that other person on there every day. You can also post on there any comments. You go, this is me and my daughter. She's the strongest young woman I know, and I love her. And you post that. Now, why? Why, why, would, why would we do that? You don't have to do that. Why would you do that? One is so other people can pray for you and cheer you on. That's the job of the church. That's what I wanna do. I'm gonna go through all those pictures. There could be thousands of pictures. I wanna go through all of them, just pray for them. Here's the bigger thing, though. Your picture or your words might actually encourage and give others ideas about what might work. God might use your stupid, silly picture, right, to save somebody else's marriage or the relationship with their son or daughter. God might use you to save somebody else's most important relationship. Now, why are we doing this? Because in order for new, better things to be formed inside of us, by Christ in us, we have to put ourselves in the best possible posture for something good, like Christ, like love, for the most important person in my life. And so we're gonna choose to do some new things, and we're gonna choose to let go of some things so that God can do what only he can do, and that is form Christ in us. So, moment of decision. You don't have to raise your hand. Are you in? You don't have to commit right now, but it does start today, and the day's half over, and you have five things you gotta do before you go to bed, so I'd get rolling, all right? Um, let me say this. If your first response is, it's not a good week for me, I, I, I'm not gonna start today, then pay attention to that. If you're just saying, I'm not gonna do that today, it probably means you should've started yesterday. If you want that relationship to get better, if you wanna stop having so many regrets about I would've, I should've, then commit to seven days of consistent, unwavering execution of loving this person on a Christ in you level. And let's just see what happens. All right, we're gonna, well, let's just stand up at all of our campuses, let's stand up, I'm, I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing this song that kind of solidifies everything that, that we just did, and then you're gonna go and you're gonna love somebody really well this week, consistent, unwavering. So God, if everything we just said is true and everything you promised is true, then you have the ability to do what only you can do, and that is you can take dead stuff and you can resurrect it. We're gonna sing that. You can turn a grave into a garden. You can take bones and turn them into armies. We can walk up to a sea, an obstacle in our life that we can't get across it, and then you make a way. You split it and we walk through it. And God, we are in faith stepping out, going, I wanna love this person in my life better, and so these five things, they're not gonna do it, but they put me in a position to actually hear from you better, and so I'm gonna do that this week. God, change our marriages, change our relationship with our kids and our parents. Make our friendships more like you want them to be. Make us more like you. Form us into Christ. It's in his wonderful name I pray, and we worship, amen.